High snap. McGriff keeps it himself. Cole McGriff is headed to the sideline. Can he get to the first down? He stays in bounds. Heads up field. Gets a block. Can you catch him? He trips, stays on his feet, and he's down inside the five. Welcome to the Tiger Sports Livestream Network Podcast. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome into the Tiger Sports Livestream Network Podcast, episode number 14. We just keep moving along in these podcasts. And we're back for another good week, another good guest upcoming, and we got a few good results from the Tiger baseball team. Also going to talk about what's going on in a very quiet but could be very hectic week coming up for the baseball squad. Uh, taking a look at uh, what's ahead in the podcast, obviously our special guest, head coach, football head coach, Brian Souser, uh, joined us in on the podcast. Um, it was a really nice opportunity to be able to sit down with him that I interview will make up most of this uh, podcast, um, but first let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Polly Eyes Pizza, and then we'll get right into the, the games that Grinnell played this past week. Hey there, I'm Joey Polly Eye, third generation owner of Polly Eyes and Grinnell. Since 1957, we've been serving you the flavors you savor. Dine in, carry out, or pick up our frozen pizzas for a night in. Our promise to you... Everything is made from scratch, and we only use the freshest ingredients, guaranteed. Plus, get your kids signed up for our Pax Pals program to get free pizza and shirts. Visit PolyEyesGrinnellIA.com or ask your server how to sign up. See you soon at PolyEyes Pizza Grinnell on 5th Ave between Maid and Broad Street. Alrighty, thank you once again to PolyEyes Pizza for sponsoring our podcast and our broadcast all throughout the baseball and softball season. They'll be back on for the football and basketball season upcoming as well. Taking a look at what Grinnell had going last week, we'll start on a uh, Monday, July 15th. Again, the Tiger Sports Livestream Network did all of the games last week against the playoff game Friday night. Starting on Monday night, senior night for the Grinnell Tigers, Drew Kaufman, Blake Hollabaugh, Gavin McFarland, Noah Reese, and Jaden Gibson all took the field one final time. Uh, sadly, couldn't come up with a win, though. Clear Creek Amanda came in, got the best of Grinnell, and took the victory 2-1. to one. But Grinnell would come back Tuesday night and really put on a wonderful show going against 10th-ranked Ballard, and they completely shut him out. 4 to nothing was the final score. Grinnell kept Ballard out of the game the entire time. A few times the Bombers got a little bit close, but just could not come up with the victory, and Grinnell got a huge win, 4 to nothing on Tuesday night. Sadly, couldn't cap off that success Tuesday and transfer over to Wednesday night. Indianola came to town after a remake of the June 28th game that was supposed to take place. Indianola really didn't have any trouble. They got uh, rid of Grinnell in the doubleheader in the first game, 3-2. to two. Because of that game, they won. Indianola wrapped up the Little Hawkeye Conference, and uh, they are now the champs for the third straight year. And then in the second game of the doubleheader, Grinnell fell short 3 to nothing. But, you know, despite the game, Grinnell came in. You know, it was kind of one of those things where Grinnell really didn't need to be there necessarily. It was one of those games that you just kind of look ahead. But either way, Grinnell played well overall, but just couldn't get it against the top-ranked uh, Indianola team who, for the third straight year, are the champions of the Little Hawkeye Conference. They beat out the tiebreaker over Dallas Center Grimes. And then on Friday night, Grinnell went to Indian Hills Community College in Centerville and took down the Sadell Eagles 10 to nothing in six innings. A really well-put-together er, team by the Grinnell Tigers. Really well-put-together game, I should say. Uh, Grinnell wins in six innings, 10 to nothing. It was a little slow to start, but a huge sixth inning. Uh, and fifth inning really got Grinnell going, and Grinnell was able to move on. So, Grinnell will play Monday night, tonight, against Centerville, July 22nd. Uh, in the bracket, Grinnell is the three-seed. Centerville is the two-seed in the District 7 bracket, or Substate 7, District 7 bracket. Um, the winner of that game will go on and play Wednesday night against either uh, Norwalk Northpolk defeated Knoxville 12 to nothing, the one versus eighth seed. Carlisle, the four seed, took on number five Norwalk. Norwalk upset Carlisle, so it's Northpolk, Norwalk, the one-five matchup, and then Grinnell and Centerville, the two-three matchup. Winner of both those games will meet in the uh, district final. Technically, the winner of that game will go to Principal Park for the state tournament. That game again will be played on Wednesday night. I believe. 
Yes, July 24th, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock at the... It says the highest remaining seed, but most likely the game will be played at a neutral site uh, just to kind of keep everything out of, uh, out of you know, rhythm for both teams so that way there's not too many on each side. So either way, it should be a really exciting game. If you want to make the two-and-a-half-hour trip down to Centerville to go take on or uh, go cheer on the Grinnell Tigers... Um, they could definitely use some of their fans out there. I know they had quite a few come down for Friday night's game. So if you're doing nothing, head down to Centerville. Uh, I will be there. Um, my dad will not be, but I will be there. We're not going to broadcast the game as we did Friday night. You can go on to KGRN and listen to them. Um, but we will not be doing the game. We might have a few pictures. Might even take our video camera down there just to get a little bit of coverage. But other than that, do not expect to broadcast for Monday's game. So that pretty much wraps up what was happening last week. We'll get you right into our interview podcast or, uh, with our special guest head coach, Brian Souser. Brian Souser, we really appreciate him coming in. I'll recap a little bit what he had to say with us. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Poly Ice Pizza, and let's head right into that interview with head coach for the football team, Brian Souser. Hey there, I'm Joey Polyi, third generation owner of Polyi's in Grinnell. Since 1957, we've been serving you the flavors you savor. Dine in, carry out, or pick up our frozen pizzas for a night in. Our promise to you, everything is made from scratch, and we only use the freshest ingredients, guaranteed. Plus, get your kids signed up for our Pax Pals program to get free pizza and shirts. Visit PolyEyesGrinnellIA.com or ask your server how to sign up. See you soon at Polyi's Pizza Grinnell on 5th Ave between Main and Broad Street. Special guest. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are sitting in live here at Grinnell High School for a little bit of a sit-down chat with on our podcast this week with head coach Brian Souser of the Grinnell Tiger football team. Coach, it's finally good to have you into one of these. It's been a while, but as we're getting closer to football season, I feel like it's appropriate. And with the lift of thon up soon, we're really happy you're glad to come in. Definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate everything you guys are doing for. Tiger Sports live stream has definitely created a lot more interest and excitement in the community. And uh, I know as a coach and just somebody who works in the school and a new member of the community, it's great to have you guys doing what you're doing. So thanks for the invite. And yeah, it's time to start talking about football. 43 days from kickoff. So here we go. Before we get started, we've sit all last year and we pronounced your last name one way. We hear someone else pronounce your name another way. Give us the, the correct way to say your last name. Oh, Blake had it right, so I guess we should have relied on Blake from well, the beginning. during all of last football season. <laughs> we were calling you a saucer. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's, it's been mispronounced for so long, you just uh, you just go with that after a while. But it is Souser. Souser. Like, like a Z, but there's not one in there. So cool. I figured I'd probably get called a lot worse throughout the course of the season that time. So if that's the worst I'm getting called, that's not bad. So yeah, That's cool. So I guess we'll jump into it. You're coming up on your second year in the GHS system. Uh, I guess tell us a little bit about your the, our listeners, a little bit about your what your teaching and coaching responsibilities are throughout the district. Um, I'm the varsity football coach. This year I coach 7th grade basketball or 8th grade basketball as well. Not sure if I'm going to do that again next year, um, you know, but I, I do enjoy being involved with basketball as well. I did that when I was at Iowa City West, really enjoyed that, just a different perspective on things to get out of the football mode a little bit at times, but um, and then this year, I've really enjoyed it. I've done all the strength conditioning for boys' sports and helped out with a little bit of the female sports also. So it's been it's been a lot, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, definitely excited about heading into year two, just having the kids for a full year, living here for a full year, and kind of getting a good feel for the kids, parents, and community is definitely helpful. What's the main duty here for in the high school teaching-wise? In the high school teaching-wise, I'm a special ed teacher. Um, so basically, most of my day consists of helping kids who are struggling with different areas throughout their school day, whether it's academics, behavior, social issues that come up during the school day. So every day is different. Uh, some days are slower than others, but I kind of like to have a little bit of action and excitement during the day. And I don't know, it's similar to sports a little bit. I, I enjoy trying to help kids on different challenges they might have, whether it's on the football field or in the classroom. It's just uh, kind of fun to have that challenge and take it on. So in, in your past teaching, is that what you've always taught especially? Tell you what, after 21 years in six different schools, I've done a lot of different things. Uh, my, my degree from college was special ed uh, with an emphasis on behavior disorders, so I've always worked with at-risk youth in a variety of different ways. I was, I was dean of students at West um, in Oklahoma. I was an at-risk student programmer. 
Uh, taught special ed, obviously, for a number of years. I've been an assistant AD for a few years, so I've kind of seen a lot of different a lot of different things in a lot of different places, but basically it all kind of boils down to I've always helped kids who struggle in different areas, and I've just uh, kind of fallen into that niche, and I really enjoy that. So we'll move to uh, where'd you grow up at? Um, I guess talk a little about uh, you know your high school a little bit, and I mean it sounds like you went to Jeez. one or two colleges or so. I guess. Man, we're going way back. Yeah, now. We're, we're going. This we're is going in depth. <laughs> this is digging into the deep dark. <laughs> Brian South. Man, oh man. <laughs> I'm from Cascade, a town actually smaller than Grinnell, uh, by Dubuque, Class Two A school. Graduated there in 1994, Cascade Cougars. Um, growing up in high school, I played a bunch of different sports, that type of thing, like a lot of kids do in smaller towns, and I enjoyed that. Um, went to Loris College in Dubuque, didn't go too far from home, and um, and then I got into the coaching and teaching world from there. I was at Dubuque Hempstead uh, for a couple years, then Muscatine was where kind of things started to come together a little bit. We moved down there in 2001. I was the offensive coordinator for a few years, and I took over the head job there in 2005. And um, it was a really good run in Muscatine. Muscatine at the time had been a program that had been down for a long time in the state of Iowa. At one point, I think they had the longest losing streak in Iowa high school history, whatever. Uh, but before 2001, Muscatine had only been to the playoffs one time. <clears throat> and then in those seven years there, we made it six times. So it was, uh, it was a good run. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I thought I knew a lot. And then you coach a long time, you realize you didn't know much of anything at all You know, when you're 25 and 26 years old. Uh, but my goal uh, growing up in the state of Iowa had been to coach at one of the Iowa City schools, uh, to be honest with you. Like, being in high school in the mid-90s, it was City High and West, I mean, every year. And um, so when I had the opportunity to become the head coach at Iowa City West, I jumped at that, thought it would be easy, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through at the time. <laughs> Iowa City West was one of the worst programs in the state of Iowa. And uh, I just thought, you know, how hard can it be? And it was really hard. It was an entire restart of a program where you know, there hadn't been strength conditioning in a few years and things had just kind of fallen apart. And we came out my first year and set the world on fire and went 0-9. And, and um, you know, it was humbling and all those types of things. And you question everything about, do I really know what I'm doing? I can't do this. Why did we leave Muscatine? You know what I mean? All those things creep into your, uh, into your mind. But, you know, we kind of stayed the course. And it was a battle. Uh, it took us three years there to really get on track. And then the last three years, we won, we won the conference championship and won 30 games and all this type of stuff. So really, to see it go from the worst uh, to one of the top schools in Iowa, I mean, it was really rewarding. And um, you know, and the, and the kids that we experienced that with, I mean, it was just uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, exhilarating for those kids. You know, what I mean, because those kids had lived through it, and then to see that pay off in a tangible way and on Friday nights was was really good. But um, Again, you know, unfortunately, until now, you know, now I'm 43, I don't have the desire to move around. Um, I just always kind of have the desire to keep going a little bit. And um, one of my mentors when I was at West was a guy named Rick Nelson, who was the old line coach in Northern Iowa. And um, we'd always talk. He was recruiting our kids, and he had coached in Oklahoma. And I um, had coached in college for a bunch of years, and he just thought that, I should look into some of the jobs in the South, just to see what was kind of out there a little bit. And I'm like, okay. So I did. And uh, I took an interview in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, which is a huge school outside of Tulsa. It's the big school, biggest school in Oklahoma. Went down there. I never thought I would get an interview or anything like that. They called me. I flew down there. And it was one of the most intimidating things I've ever gone through. I walked into this. It was out of college, not even on the high school campus. And uh, there were 40 people in the interview around like a horseshoe set of tables. And it was four hours long. And um, you, you were dead center of those 40 people. Working. 40 people for four hours. Wow. Yeah, it was intense. I mean, there was... There was five people they interviewed, and I mean, it was awesome to be part of it. So, um, you know, it went really well. I knew I probably wasn't going to get the job, but I also knew that this was something that would be really cool to be a part of. So, make a long story short, we ended up moving to Oklahoma, coached with a college football legend and you kind of guy named Bill Young, who had been the D coordinator at Oklahoma State when they beat Andrew Luck in the Fiesta Bowl. Oklahoma State moved him on for whatever reason. He ended up there. He had been a defensive guy. I was an offensive guy, and our past kind of came together, and we coached together for a year. He got back into the college ranks, went back to Tulsa as D coordinator. I took the head job in Oklahoma, and it was a huge challenge. It was everything that you think of in crazy high school football. I mean, our facility was amazing, $17 million football facility, but it was, it was intense. And um, to be honest with you, we didn't, um, it didn't get rebuilt as fast as I would have liked, you know, and there probably wasn't a whole lot of patience 
in that community for what really needed to take place and you know we were 10 hours from home and I think we kind of had a reality check too of like our parents were 10 hours away you know kind of like what are we doing you know what I mean like driving back for every holiday so after a couple years there we decided to move back or so we thought and then our daughter decided to go to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville so as we were set to move back to Iowa um, she she decided to go there and I got a call from Fayetteville High School uh, see if I'd be interested in coaching quarterbacks there and they were 7A state champions back to back chance to be around Emma for another year so we did that and um, we really thought we'd stay there probably for a long long time and um, Grinnell job came open I'd known about Grinnell Grinnell had been really good for a long time and um, it was still kind of that back in Iowa the one thing that lacked in the big schools for us was our kids being able to play multiple sports was a huge challenge like in Arkansas we were 3,100 kids I think it was and athletics are a part of your day so it was it was tough to play football and do anything else right. that kind of bothered me a little bit our parents still being 10 hours away still it was a huge challenge so we asked the boys you know we just kind of said all right guys you know we love it here in Fayetteville there's a good job open in Iowa it's gonna be another uh, little bit of a rebuilder what do you guys want to do this is your career you know what I mean I can coach forever and they're like dad we we really like it in Arkansas but we really like to go back to Iowa and have you be our head coach again that type of thing so we're like all right here we go so that's uh how we ended up back here and I mean the kids have loved it you know we've enjoyed it I mean it's been a really good deal they play a bunch of sports you know Dodge even plays basketball and baseball which is an experience <laughs> but he's getting to do that and that type of thing so that's a little bit of a whirlwind nutshell of a long time go backwards just a hair okay college okay play football I did I played for two years at Loris College uh, coach Art Dafgard still there at the time? What's that? Was Coach Dafgard still no, there? No, my head coach was a guy named Bob Beery, who was old school, hard-nosed, you know, was there when it was Loris Military Academy. I mean, and um, I, I learned a lot from him just about discipline and just toughness, you know, a couple things I don't think you always walk out of high school with and that type of thing. And I mean, he was, he was hardcore and, you know, I mean, I probably didn't have the exact right mindset like I should have. You know, I wasn't as patient as I needed to be. But at the same time, I enjoyed it, but I knew I wanted to get into coaching. And so after two years, I had an opportunity to coach junior high football. And um, I decided to do that because I knew that's what I wanted to ultimately do. You know, looking back, it's like, man, I gave up two years of playing. You know what I mean? But at the time, you know, you, you know how it is when you get to college and you'll figure this out. You get so eager to make that next jump uh, sometimes. But if I wouldn't have done that, you know, I don't know that things would have worked out like they did. So. Yeah, um, but that's I know that's exactly how my that college goes. career. <laughs> so now that we've talked about the past a little bit, we'll get yeah. to the present. You came into a Grinnell football program that was at rock bottom. Uh, I mean, we didn't go winless, but man, we were close to it, and we probably could have been. Uh, you know, for a program that had gone so many seasons without you know ever cracking under 500, you seem that most of your life you've really it's been rare that you've taken on a program that has been on top. What what was the closing factor? I mean, why Grinnell? Why this 3A school that has rarely been on top, you know, for that short amount of time and is now just scraping the bottom of the barrel in the Little Hawkeye Conference? Well, I think it's like you already you already hit it on the head. Grinnell have been good for a long time, you know, from really 19, about 1998 to mm -hmm. 2014. I mean, it was – or 2013, it was pretty successful. And so that was the time I was coaching, you know what I mean? So, like, I, the entire time I was coaching, Grinnell – was a really tough football team. Had been to the semis, I think, four times. Yeah. So I mean, even though it had been a little bit of a hiatus, you know, from being successful, it was a really good program. You know, and there were even times when I was coaching. Uh, I remember at Iowa City West, we played Eli Dunn and Coach Dunn in some seven on seven, um, and they were really good. I mean, we had some really good battles with them and that type of thing. And I remember even thinking then, I'm like, that'd be a really cool place to be. It's a good sized town. It's a one high school town, which was a huge challenge in a town like Iowa City. You, you don't have to share people right. and that type of thing. So in my mind, it had always been a really good program. Um, and then it had fallen on hard times. And really the, the main the main factor when we decided to come back was I called Coach Dunn, I don't know, it was like February, wherever it was. And I didn't really know Coach very well. You know, but I got his number. And I remember I was standing down there in Arkansas and I called him and I said, Coach, you know, before we go do this, I just got to know, is, is football important in the community? If it's not a big deal in the community, it's pretty tough to revive a program. And uh, he's like, he's like, these people here are dying for Tiger football to be successful again. He's like, you have more support than you can imagine, you know, for a team that struggled the past few years. I'm like, coach, that's really, 
you know, all I need to know. You know, I mean, that was really the most important part for me. If we were going to do this and we were going to bring our family into a community, I want to make sure that they cared. You right. know what I mean? I wasn't just indifferent towards it. So really, Coach Dunn's opinion on that and, and the community support was kind of the deciding factor. It said, all right, let's go do this. Well, and I think as you you probably already found out, it's just not football. No, absolutely. This, this town lives, I'm not going to say dies, but they strive off of the sports. And I think Mike Doty's softball program is a contributor to that. You know, they're moral victories, but we're filling the stands on yeah. three and four and five wins because people see turnarounds. Yeah. And, you know, they just come out of the woodwork. And it, it's the sponsorship that we see following us here on this live stream. You know, I, I threw a stat out on a tweet today that in one game, we streamed over one eighteen hundred minutes <laughs> in, in a solid time. period of last night's baseball game. That's amazing. So that's people that you know they know about it. They yeah. can't make it, but yeah, they believe it or they want to see what's going on. Yeah, no doubt. So I mean, it, it's pretty incredible of the following of what goes on out there. So, and and we always thought for the same other side of it, does this live streaming take away from putting people in the stands? And I don't think it does. No, no. It's more the people from out of town, the grandparents that never yeah. get to see it. They're just starting to fill up the airwaves and, and see more of it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I've heard that before. You know, you're at different high schools and, like, the live stream has been, uh, you know, a, a big topic at a lot of places about people not going to the games. But, like, for me personally, like, I still love to go to the games, you know, like, but sometimes, like, baseball, like, okay, if there's something else going on and you can't make it, it's great to be able to turn on YouTube and still watch it. You know what I mean? So, like, there may be a few people out there that would stay home, but I think for the most part, people who like to go to the games are going to go. But it, being able to watch it is a is a huge deal. So, I mean, I, I love it. You know, and I think a lot of other people do as well, which is a really good thing. The program, when you came, there was – we were losing numbers. You know, people not wanting to play. When we talked to Coach Dunn a few weeks ago, he said that, you know, the middle school program was struggling. Uh, you know, what was what was your mindset in coming in knowing that the youth needed to be thought of when it came to football? Because if you don't want to play in middle school, it's hard to get people coming into high school. Yeah. And just in your year two, it already seems like the culture with the players themselves, they're just excited to be playing. What did you do to, you know, get these players' mindset to say, yes, we want to play football and yes, we want to win? Oh, we still need more numbers. There's no doubt about that. Right. Numbers are... You know, football is a numbers game, you know, but sometimes we get too wrapped up in numbers, and I've talked more about it. We need to have quality numbers. You know, the reality is if we didn't lift weights and do all that stuff, we just said you could wear a jersey on Friday nights, there'd be 130 kids out there that could go do that. But it's really hard work. But the infrastructure, you're right, there were there was really uh, very little if no youth infrastructure in place. So the one thing that was just in its infant stages was the Tiger Football Club. So there was a group of guys in town that were – had made this group with Coach Shipley, you know, and they didn't really get off the ground and go anywhere. And Coach Dunn was part of this group, Coach Wallace, you know, from the college, Mark Culpin, just a bunch of alumni guys were like, hey, we got to get together and try and fix this. So I walked into that part, which was good. And one of the first things that, that I wanted to get done was to have youth tackle football as an option for people. I'm not going to shove it down people's throats. If they don't want it, that's fine. But we were, we're the only school in our conference who doesn't have it and doesn't play it. I mean, it matters. So, like, you're talking about middle school, our seventh graders, that's the first time they've gone into contact. When you're playing against kids who have done that for three and four years, that, oh, that's it, a big deal. Yeah, trust me, I, do, I went through it. It's not. <laughs> so it's pretty tough. So I want to get that part going. And uh, there was a little bit of resistance to that in the beginning, just because anytime something is new. But to make a long story short on that, we did that. We were hoping to get one team. We have 40 kids now, and we've had to make two teams. So this year we'll have that getting off the ground, which is outstanding. Okay, um, Middle school-wise, that's, that's a huge challenge area for us. And, um, you know, we had guys down there, they were giving it everything they've had. There's no doubt about that. But I feel really, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, some of the new coaches we're able to bring in our middle school. Like this year, Scott Sharp's going to coach middle school football. Mike Doty's coaching middle school football. Cass Stubbs, who's our guidance counselor here at the high school, is a former varsity football coach at, down at uh, North Mahaska. John Cotts is still over there coaching as well. And then we picked up uh, another guy who's going to teach PE and was a former coach at South Tama at the high school level. So in a very short amount of time, I feel like we've generated a ton of interest through our Tiger Football Club with some guys in the community 
we formed our youth football, youth tackle football. We have that up and going. People are excited about that. And we've really kind of, I think, been able to revamp and kind of reestablish that culture at the middle school. High school-wise, yeah, our kids are excited about playing. And, um, you know, to their credit, they have worked their butts off. I mean, we ask a lot of them. You know, you got to be here at 7 a.m., four days a week all summer. And uh, it's not so much the time that they're here. It's getting up every morning and having to go somewhere and work at it. And, you know, they've kind of embraced that culture, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, you know, it's always going to be a goal to have more numbers out there. But in those numbers, they have to be kids who want to work. You know, so, I mean, it's kind of a slippery slope a little bit. Like, we want you. You know, we told a lot of kids, we'd love to have you. Just want you to know, like, it's going to be a lot of work. It's not going to be easy. But the kids who've uh, done that have embraced that. And, you know, we have picked up some new faces along the way, which is uh, which is definitely a good thing, and that's exciting. And hopefully we can continue to pick up more numbers as we go. The You're the strength and conditioning man here at the high school, are you not? <laughs> kind of. Uh, the man. Sure, yeah, why not? Yeah. What, what, you know, I've heard some people say that what you do is just a little different. What's your take on that whole strength and conditioning thing and getting these players of all, of all sports, you know, ready and raring to go when it comes to playing? You know, I, I think in the weight room we try to match the intensity and the speed level, which we want to do in every sport. You know what I mean? It does not open up the weight room and walk in and get your lift in and go home. I mean, it's detailed down to the second. And um, I spend a lot of time planning. You know, we don't waste any time in there. Everything is on timers. All the kids' weights they're going to do is all preset based on how they tested, that type of thing. And really, you know, that part, like the structure of it, that's been something I think I've always just been pretty good at, structuring things and being organized and efficient. You know, our kids know they're going to go in there, it's going to be fast, they're going to work hard, and they're going to get done. As far as the technical side of things, when I was in Iowa City, I had a chance to learn from Chris Doyle a great deal. So everything that our kids do here, um, you know, I learned from him, you know, on how to pair together lifts, what should go together. You know, when I was at West, I thought I knew a lot until I met Chris Doyle. And I walked in there, he wanted to see what we were doing, you know, I'm like, I'm like, he's going to really think this is awesome. I still remember sitting in his office, and he's just like, you mind if I make some suggestions? I'm like, no. He's like, well, I think we should move this here and this here, maybe do this. And finally, I'm like, coach, let's do whatever you think is best. <laughs> and so really what, what we migrated to and what we do here for the most part is what uh, University of Iowa football does with their redshirt kids and their freshman kids. Very, very similar in the way the lifts are structured and put together. Um, I still use the same formulas for putting together the weights and stuff like that that he shared with me. You know, shoot, it's almost 10 years ago now. Wow. So, you know, having that validity, I think, behind what we do is why I've always felt very strongly about you're going you're gonna to work out here. You know what I mean? I think it's unmatched in terms of the knowledge that, that, that I've learned from. You know, I, even in Iowa City, we had kids who were like, I'm going to go work out with a personal trainer. I'm like, you're going to work out here first. You know, I mean, this is a Division One football, probably the top strength coach in the country. You know, sharing his knowledge with us. So uh, I feel strongly we'll be able to bring that to Grinnell. But the structure of it, I think kids like the fast pace. Um, you know, we get them in, we get them out, but it's hard. You know, there's no doubt about that. It's not going to be easy. Um, it is different. There's no doubt about that. Um, but everything we're doing is kind of a little bit against the grain, which makes it more fun. Well, it seems to be that we see results. I mean, we, we see, you know, between the basketball group of basketball players that run through in the wintertime, you know, seeing the wrestlers and the football players in the off season, we're seeing growth of them physically mm -hmm. that they're they're filling in their shell instead of just, you know, a lot of times when kids used to lift, it was you'd see them get their chest built up or you'd see, you know, they sit there and do curls all day to get big arms, but they'd never have a, a tricep to fill in the rest of their arm. They'd never have a neck or a, a back. Or shoulder a or a butt yeah <laughs> you know to to actually yeah. fill in the whole frame and make you a complete player wherever yes. sport you're playing and it seems like we're seeing more of that of the athletes just walking around the whole high school in every sport that at least we work with or yeah. live stream anyway the kids that have gone through the program i mean on average and this is pretty common that first year where you're going to have something that's completely different like a lot of those kids have gained 20 to 30 pounds of lean muscle you know what i mean they look a lot different you know, I mean, we, we look like uh, we have a lot more guys look like varsity football players and just varsity athletes in general. You know, like a kid like Cole McGriff, for example, basketball, golf, football. You know, I mean, Cole, it's not even a comparison to what he looked like 12 months ago. You know what I mean? And that is going to benefit him in everything that he does. So it's amazing when I look at the numbers of last summer when we first tested guys for the first time to where they are now. I mean, it's, it's astonishing. 
you know, I mean, just the tangible numbers. And kids are in everybody, they like to see tangible results, yep. you know, not just moral victories. So when they see that they are lifting two and 300 pounds more in total than they were 12 months ago, it gives those kids more momentum to keep going. But yeah, I agree. We look different. We needed to look different. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we're on that track. You you go to, you know, I've, I don't know how many times last year, in the past two years, we play other teams. We go against Pella, and I hear so many people in the stands, they're just like, well, dang, we just look small. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, you know, it seemed true. Yeah. It just, you know, against teams like that, and it's apparent. They, you know, yeah. we're getting bigger and everything else. Well, and as myself, I've coached for five years back in the 90s, and, you know, South Tama, at, that's where I grew up, they had a pretty mm -hmm. decent weight program. And we noticed that then, if you have kids that are in a weight program that work at it diligently, your injuries will go down. No doubt. So, I mean, that's the big thing, I think, that everyone will sit in the stands and say that, ooh, football's so dangerous. Look at all the kids we've got getting hurt, where in a year and a half, two years of weightlifting and, and proper conditioning, mm -hmm. and, and again, I'm not going against anything that no. uh, Coach Shipley had in the program, because he had kids that were here lifting weights. but. When you have a structured program, I think these people sit in the stands, they will see the injuries go down because it's usually the least fit is the one that gets hurt. No doubt about that. I mean, that's a, a proven no fact. <laughs> 100%. You know, and the injuries that you see a lot less over the bumps and bruises, you know, unfortunately in any sport, a kid's going to, they might hurt a knee, you know, an ACL or that type of thing. Like some things, you know, you twist your knee wrong and things happen, that type of thing. But you know, last year I felt like we had so many bumps and bruises types injuries where like I knew I'm like, we're just not physically ready for the pounding that it takes out there. So I think that will be a, a huge change this well, year. Well, and, and my wife will probably, I'll get a lecture for this maybe Monday night when I say this. There is a point when we have to turn our young, young boys into young men and to start to, those bumps and bruises do happen. And, you know, there is a difference of having an injury versus an owie. Oh, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> you never want a kid to go out there injured. Um, but, you know, you're right in, in terms of just, you know, it's the bumps and bruises. It's the discipline. It's, you know, just learning to fight through all different types of adversity. Like, sometimes people think so much of the weight room is just pushing the weight. Like, pushing the weight is a just part of it. You know what I mean? To me, it's the discipline, the mental toughness, and the camaraderie that goes on in that weight room that is equally as important as just physical strength. So that's why we structure that program to be as intense as it is and not just the I'm not trying to put down the YMCA, but it's not just a YMCA lifting program where like the door is open, do your workout and go home. Right. Like, it's a lot more intense than that. So yeah, I don't disagree with you there. Talk about my favorite part of this podcast. Okay. Let's talk about the 2019 football there season. There we go. Okay. Uh, three and six last year. Heck, that's an improvement for me. I definitely, I mean, I went to most of the games except Fairfield, except uh, that's way too far. That I'm not going out to Fairfield, <laughs> but um, same schedule as last year, except we flipped home games and such you get five home games this year i mean that that's good in front that of good. all the tiger fans yep the conference didn't make it out of the first round i don't think did not so you know we see what returns what is the expectation based off of year one well i have no doubt in my mind that we're going to be much more physical i know we're going to compete you know against teams who want to just line up and be physical and that type of thing and that's what a lot of teams like to do that we're going to play i mean that's just the style of football that um, we play against now and to be fair to our conference I mean Pella did match up with Xavier in the first round they did and um, it was a tremendous football game you know I remember walking away from the game that night and said that's the that's the first and second football teams in class 3a right there so but you know you, you play who they tell you you're gonna play you know Oski getting beat you know I mean that didn't break my heart you know to be honest with you and that's okay they probably shouldn't have beat Pella anyway um, but. yeah you know questionable call there and then you know other questionable things during the year but that's okay um, you know, for, for us, my expectation, I do expect us to compete in every game, and we expect to be able to get off to a, a really good start. Um, you know, mid-Prairie week one, you know, Coach Kavanaugh, former Grinnell Tiger quarterback, I mean, they're tough, and they're always going to be a tough team to play against. But, I mean, us going on the road with, you know, we have 17 starters back. You know, we should be able to hopefully play well early. And then we do come home for, you know, North Polk, who had, really good senior class last year they got some good kids back but we're at home with a lot more experience um you know so our first two games i mean our first game but really those first two you know i think can set us off on a really good a really good path and then uh you know you have adm it's gonna be a really tough game that I mean, was fun it's gonna be a great year. battle i mean that 
even though it was a loss, oh. that was, in my opinion, the best game that we played last it's year. painful. Six times inside the 20 with no points. I mean, that one, as a coach, it's tough to move past that one. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be a lot better. And that's not a never put down against the kids last year. I mean, we showed up in June and we went out there in August and those kids competed. I mean, they won three. You know, really and truly the ADM game, we, that, that one got away. You know, it'd be first and goal at the floor with three minutes to go and not finish it. You know, so they, they won three. But that one in the Newton game, I felt were two games that Newton you can't say we should have won because you got to go do it. But we we could have won those right, games. I mean, right. we we're two or three plays from being five and four, which would been would have been outstanding. But um, you know, we expect to we expect to be successful. You know, I hope this isn't a three to four year, you know, wait and see type approach. And with our, you know, the number of juniors we have this year that played a ton last year, you know, you don't think it'll be a hopefully a three to four year plan. Right in the. The youth is quite apparent. I mean, uh, you know, and the offense was showed strides. We don't have a senior quarterback now. I mean, nope. we're I don't know who we're starting at quarterback most likely. It's probably still up for grabs this early, but you know, especially up on the line, you know, Dodge. Mm -hmm. I assume is he still going to play end as always? Yeah, he's going to play right tackle on offense. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. And. Uh, He's done a great job. He's had a good off season. I mean, he's kind of our anchor up front. Um, Cam Stevenson will be back up front. Uh, Chase Williams will be a senior. It looks like right now he's going to step in at center, which will be a really good deal. I mean, he's he's done a great job, and he's kind of thrived in that spot. Sometimes you're trying to move the pieces around until they fit. That seems to be a really good fit there right. uh, with him. Trey Goldman looks like he'll be at left tackle if we went out there today. You know, Trey's a little bit undersized, but he's long, and he's got pretty good technique, and he's tough. And then we have a guard spot that's kind of up for grabs where some some guys are competing for that spot, which is a good thing. And you know what? You never have enough depth in your offensive line. You know, you're always fighting to get eight guys, you know, to play those five spots. So four spots right now we feel really good about. And then we got some kids competing for the fifth one, and then we'll try to create some depth from there. But um, that's where it's going to start. You know, I mean, we have to control the offensive line. Uh, we have to be able to run the football. I know those, those are cliches, but in all levels, you have to be able to do that. I know we're going to be able to throw it. I don't have any doubt about that. We have more receiver depth. You know, I think we had in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You have a 6'6 six, six wide receiver. Do have a 6'6 six, six receiver. And then we got a bunch of other slot, scat guys that can run and do some things, which, um, you know, I, I think that that could be a really key part of our game. Our quick passing game and short passing game is probably going to be a key for us. Because if we can run the ball and force those guys to be able to get out in space, I think we have a chance to do some things. But uh, starts with the offensive line. The QB is uh, it's a question mark, but uh, I feel good about where we're headed there. Now, in the, the past, it sounds like you've pretty much been in big schools, that yeah. you probably were settled with juniors and seniors. That was your varsity program. Where do you think that's going to put these guys' ex experience of, what do we have, six, six sophomores, seven sophomores last year that got – pretty good quality playing time and actually matured quite well over the season. Yeah. Where do you think that's going to set in as being a benefit for this year? Well, number one, it's the experience factor. You know, when you're going out there with a lot more kids to start in a varsity football game, you don't deal with the just starstruck a little bit and that type of stuff. You got a bunch of guys who are used to it, which is a good thing. But those same guys that you're talking about are much bigger and stronger than when, when the, than they were a year ago. So you're talking about experience and strength uh, both coming together. And the other thing in that group of kids, there's a lot of tremendous leaders in that group. Like, I mean, yes, they're here and they're lifting their weights, they're getting bigger. But we have some guys who really do uh, take control of things, which is not always the case for, for younger guys. You know, I mean, Dodge does a great job. He's a great leader. He, I mean, for he was elected as a captain last year as a sophomore. Whether he's my kid or not is irrelevant. But for that to happen in a short amount of time, you have to exhibit some pretty good leadership qualities. Mateus Durr, Kyle Dillon, you know, and we have some good vocal guys, Wyatt Hunter, Eli Rose. You know, they're, they're good football players, but those guys have a little bit more of an edge to them where they're willing to lead a group even when they're not seniors. So that part of things should uh, have a tremendous impact when we get out there. So uh, you've had a few players go to different camps to different universities over the summer. Uh, we'll talk individual first. Dodge and Mateus, uh, they went to the University of Iowa, I believe. Yeah, junior day. Yep. Yeah, back in March. Um, I guess talk a little bit about what that does for individual players going to certain colleges like that. You know, as, as a coach, you know, I want kids to be able to go out and experience as many different things as possible. You know what I mean? Like, go, go do it, go see places. 
Uh, to get invited to Junior Day for those two guys, it was awesome. You know, I mean, it was a really neat experience. There were some of the top prospects I was recruiting around the country. Got a great meal out of it. I mean, it was a it was a really cool day. So that that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then Dodge went to Kansas State Junior Day. We went down there. He got invited down there, which was really cool as well. And um, so I mean, he's I don't know. I mean, he's kind of on the on the fringe a little bit on a lot of those schools. You know, hopefully that all pans out for him. That's kind of been a a lifelong goal. Um, we were at Iowa State a few weeks ago. He had a really good camp on a Friday night. They kept us after after the camp. Um, wanted us to meet with Coach Campbell at about 10.30 at night. And uh, it was just Mandy, Ia Dodge, and Matt Campbell in the AD's office at Iowa State. And you know, he had told Dodge, he's like, I want you to be a Cyclone. You're this close. And I think it was a little bit like Dodge was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're in this meeting. I think he <laughs> thought that was the, the big moment right there. but. The good thing about that, it's forced him to stay hungry, you know, and uh, yeah, hopefully lock something down eventually. But there's a lot of good schools that are actively recruiting him and that type of thing. But uh, in addition to those two, you know, we've had kids like Eli Rose, Jake Green. They're going to Wartburg, and they're going to different camps out there like that. Owen Kaufman's kind of on some people's radar a little bit because there's not a lot of six, seven guys <laughs> out there who play football and can do some things. You know, I think Wyatt Hunter is a guy that, you know, he needs to go to some camps probably a little bit. He's a 190-pound kid who can run oh, he's fast. Uh, and that type of thing. So, I mean, we have – I think what it's done a little bit, you know, just Dodge and Mateus going to junior day and then some of the other college things that are going on out there, I think it's kind of opened our kids' eyes a little bit too. Like, get out and go go to places, you know. Be seen. Be visible. So, as a coach, I never wanted to interfere with anything we're doing here. But at the same time, like, you got to go. You know, and, and let college coaches see you and that type of thing. And the cool thing for me as a coach is we have a number of kids who have a desire to play college football. And so, I mean, I want to do everything I can to kind of help that and promote that and push that, and, um, and I enjoy that. So I've talked to a lot of different colleges about the kids we have, especially in that 2021 class. Well, we hope to give them a lot of exposure for that too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, you brought home some hardware this past weekend, the 7-on-7 yeah. seven seven tournament. Um, what do those do for a program? I mean, like, you guys have gone all over the country, it seems like, playing these. Yeah. What advantage does that give you guys coming into this fall season? Well, there's two parts of 7-on-7. Seven seven. Number one is we, we've gone to Notre Dame and Nebraska uh, just this year, Nebraska last year. That's kind of part of that thing I was talking about a little bit. I want to expose our kids to some of the coolest parts about football and going and seeing these places. Yeah. So Nebraska and Notre Dame certainly did that. We played against schools from seven different states, you know, the – Boys got to play a game in Notre Dame Stadium against Minnesota State champions. You know what I mean? Like just some really cool experiences. And, you know, people who don't know a lot about 7-on-7, seven seven, you know, I've heard a lot of different things. I've been doing this for a long time. You know, you hear things like, oh, it's not real football. It's not that. Like, it's not. It's not real football. But what it does, it teaches you how to be competitive in a live game situation. I mean, it's intense. I yeah. mean, you're keeping score and it's a tournament. You know what I mean? Like. There is a heck of a lot of pressure and intensity goes on. And, you know, our kids are also learning, mm -hmm. you know, our entire passing game. You know, they've been running it all summer, not just on air out here in the backyard at the high school, but going against people from all over the country. And to be honest with you, we took our lumps in some games at Notre Dame and Nebraska. I mean, at Nebraska, we were against Colorado State champions, you know, and like some, it's some good battles. It's good for our kids to go play those people. So then last weekend, we went to Simpson, played seven on seven. And we saw our bracket when it came out. We were in with all CIML 4A schools. So we're like, okay, let's see how it goes. And we get down here and we we handled Des Moines Lincoln. We handled Indianola. And then we played Southeast Polk. 4A runners up last year. I mean, they were they had about 40 guys there, full platoon, that type of thing. And the first time they played us, they beat us. And so we finished in a three-way tie for first, got into bracket play, got all the way back to the championship and played Southeast Polk again. And we shot them out in the championship game. Wow. And the biggest thing that we noticed during the day, and this kind of goes back to the strength and conditioning, our kids were in so much better shape than every other team there. <laughs> it was hot, and you could just see other teams well, and our guys were kind of raising it up. And, I mean, at the end, I mean, Southeast Polk, they, I mean, they were just a really good football team. They were out of gas, and our guys were still kind of going. So for it's our awesome. kids to have that tangible result, like, yes, it was cool going to Notre Dame and Nebraska. We won a few games, but there were a few where we kind of got – uh, back, taking it. back here in, in Iowa, we did, we did the job. <laughs> we did, and, you know, just the improvement we've made, and that's what 7-on-7 seven seven has done. If we didn't do that, we wouldn't know about a lot of the problems we needed to fix right. until you get out there and it's too late. So we fixed so many just X and O problems, fundamental problems, because we got exposed a little bit. So 
it's been extremely beneficial and winning and shutting out Southeast Polk was uh, it felt really good for all of us. Talk about a little bit uh, the Grinnell Tiger Club liftathons coming up. Uh, give our listeners a little bit of a feel of what that's all about and uh, what do the proceeds go towards? The liftathon is uh, hands down the best fundraiser that I, that I've ever been a part of. We've done it <laughs> in a bunch of different schools. Um, you know, the actual fundraising part of it is easy for kids, which I think is a key to fundraising. It's not going door to door or anything like that. Our kids, they, they send out 14 letters, and it's a, a letter that we kind of put together. The Arns Foundation has helped with all the supplies and getting those letters ready and that type of thing. But each kid sends out 14 letters, and if donations come back, that's great. They get credited their name, and then based on how much comes in, the kids earn sweatshirts and jackets, that type of stuff. So there is that tangible part. It's not just a fundraiser and what do I get out of it. So the kids earn a lot there. And then what we use the funds for is it, it pays for seven-on-seven seven team camp and it pays for our off-season nutrition. Our kids have unlimited chocolate milk at the end of every workout, um, which we've been doing since January, and that's had an impact on our, our weight gain a little bit. But, you know, chocolate milk's five bucks a gallon. And, um, you know, we go through about 25, 30 gallons a week in the summertime. So, you know, the camps, the nutrition, and then the youth football. So every kid that signed up to play tackle football this year in, the, in Grinnell, the Tiger Football Club paid $60 of their $160 fee to play. Wow. So it's gone right back to those kids. So that was our goal with the club was let's make sure this is a club that's, you know, generating funds for every kid in our entire program from youth on the way up. So the cool part of the liftathon, for anybody who can make it, is we bring all the racks from the weight room out onto the football field. And um, next Friday night from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, our kids will be out there. It's basically their end of summer testing in bench, squat, and deadlift. And I mean, they've been competing for different numbers throughout the entire off season. So, you know, I think last year we had 100 people there show up to watch. It's pretty cool this year. Hopefully the end of it will be under the lights. Will have been Latimer there as a, as a DJ this year. We might be, be live music cranked it. up, maybe live stream. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it, it really, yes. I mean, we want it to be a fundraiser and that type of thing because it does pay for a lot of things in our program. But our goal for it is to be a, it's a community event. You know what I mean? Like, come out and watch it. It's two hours long. You're gonna see some kids move around a ton of ton of weight. They'll be jacked up and excited, and you know, it um, it really is a, a cool event that everywhere we've gone to has been really successful and well-received, but I'm not sure anywhere it was as quickly well-received as it was in Grinnell last year. I mean, our fundraising was amazing, and people were just like, this is awesome. So, you know, we've kind of fed off that energy a little bit as well. Is the midnight game coming back? The midnight practice is definitely uh, going to continue to be a staple of our program I unless make we it. get shut down for some reason. I, I don't know. i got to make but, it this year. Uh, you know, that's, that's another thing the kids have asked about. Are we still doing that? Are we still practicing at midnight? You know, I mean, that was a... A really cool experience. It's our first practice in pads, so we go out there at 12:01 and get after it for about an hour and 40 minutes. But that's definitely still in the plan. Uh, just a few questions to wrap up. Probably short answer questions. Number sure. one: Have we seen every trick play in your book last year? Oh heck no! We're always thinking. Of new ones. <laughs> heck no, no. With how I'm, many Kurt Ferentz is cranking out? You take some ideas. <laughs> no, I mean you know what? The good thing about those plays is, I mean sometimes you see. You know, football's a big game of copycat, you know what I mean? What are other people doing? And mm -hmm. sometimes you see one on a Saturday or a Sunday game, or like, you know what, we can throw that in. That's yeah. pretty easy. So, yeah. no. I mean, it's always that, – we're that always going to push the envelope on those. That was probably the most enjoyable factor of broadcasting oh, yeah. your football games. And I'll call them your football games. It's Tiger football. But I didn't – we saw maybe one or two trick plays repeat, but it was the new ones that kept coming out. It's like – Wait a second, where'd that come from? <laughs> well, like that fourth down against ADM. I mean, it didn't work, but man, it was it was a good call. And you know, <laughs> I mean, every every you know all these different passes, and that's the thing. You guys have surprisingly a lot of guys that can throw the football. True. I mean, all of your wide receivers could de definitely chuck the pigskin. I agree with that. And yeah. I mean, it it really helps out. Um, you're going to have a new look this year, a little bit of a new look. Uh, talk a little bit about the all-orange uniform, something we've never seen. <laughs> I mean, Grinnell, or Iowa has their gold out. I guess we're going orange out. We, uh, we do. We have the, the color rush, all-orange, uh, jerseys and pants. I mean, it's going to look good. And, you know, again, we've just tried to push the envelope on a lot of different things. And you know what? This day and age, I mean, honestly, whether you're in high school or college, I mean, uniforms and colors and changing it up, People like it's care. just all part of – 
trying to generate interest. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like ultimately, you got to produce between the lines on Friday nights, but at the same time, like it's just trying to create interest, that type of thing. And orange, bright orange. You know what? It'll definitely uh, create some attention, that type of thing. But you know, some nights we could be orange pants and white jerseys, and mm-hmm. you know, you can mix it up a little bit. It kind of looks like Clemson's uniforms a yeah, little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not completely way out there, but. Uh, so, I think I think it's gonna look sharp. So maybe we should pr- promote an orange crush out night. Orange crush out night. That's right. Orange when it crush. comes to media days, we'll throw something. Turn together. turn the crowd all orange and <laughs> the players orange. And, no, it'll, it'll look good. The, yeah, it'll look good. Uh, I guess a f- one final question. Um, you know the facilities are changing around the high school. Uh, we still have a grass field. Um, obviously, we talked to Kaufman a few weeks ago, and you know the turf maybe someday down the line would happen. You know, does does that really? I know it probably doesn't matter, but you know, in terms of looks and keeping up with you know what's around us, do you feel like Grinnell's in the right direction in terms of making the facilities better and whatnot? Well, turf is a huge factor. Um, you know, whether it's Grinnell or any other community, it it, it is uh, it's an advantage to have it, and it's a disadvantage to not. And there's no doubt about that. It's not about the Friday night two and a half hours. It's about every day when you're out there at practice. And, you know, last year was a great indication of that. We, we practiced underwater oh, yeah. about half the days, you know, and then it was mud and that type of thing. And, like, you know, people can say whatever they want. That's a huge advantage, you know, to have good footing every day at practice. Yeah. You know, I remember we had turf in Muscatine, I think, in 2009. We're out there practicing. Thunderstorm comes in. We go over to a shed. Thunderstorm clears. And you go out there practicing just like you never even stopped. So that part alone is a huge factor. The pounding on kids' legs. You know, when you're out there every day on mud slash mud that turns into concrete, it matters when you get to week nine or week 10 in Iowa and it's cold out, that type of thing. So, and the other thing about turf that, you know, I think sometimes get lost is the fact that, well, that's just a football field. Like every sport benefits from a turf football field, not just sports. Like I see Levi Dressler out there painting lines with a spray can in August, you know what I mean? Trying to find a place to practice, you know what I mean? Like the amount of students in any school, and I'm not, this is not a, plea for turf but in every school I've been in the amount of different activities and and athletics that are on that turf and can benefit from it is uh, astounding you know what I mean so soccer you know what I mean like you can go right down the line like that turf everybody uses it And and I really think you know I hope it's something that takes place here not just for football but for all the different activities that can benefit from it you know well and we didn't realize that that question was threw out to us at soccer how come you guys don't live stream soccer well, it's just hard. Arns Park. I don't really feel like sitting up on top of a pole holding a camera <laughs> looking at a soccer field to get you a good view. That's a good point. And, yeah. you know, then it was brought up, and, and we asked Chris about that. And he goes, well, it's not that we can't use the soccer or the high school football field, but he said due to where the drainage is and the length and size, the soccer coaches, it's undersized. Yeah. He goes, yes, there is football fields that people use, but he said, if you take measurements, they are a little bit bigger here, a little bit bigger there. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't know that, but it is a, a fact. But if we could size that up, you know, what what is the, the long-term factor of liability of us playing somewhere else where we could bring our kids right back to our own high school and play? That would be great. You know, and, yeah. you know, the, the maintenance. A lot of people don't know how much time it takes to keep oh the football gosh. field up. Yeah. Let alone the watering, the just fertilizer to yeah. make it look great. I think those are some of the under the hidden factors. It's that nonstop. I mean, you know, and just even like last year on the Fridays, you know, like Sean Edelin and his guys, I mean, they do an amazing job mm-hmm. getting that field ready, you know, but like it's a Friday, it's raining, you're out there and it's mud, you know what I mean? Like trying to just cobble something together. And it's amazing when you're on turf, you just don't even think about all those things. You know what I mean? It's just always done and ready to go. So uh, you know, I, I don't know, just the amount of students that benefit from it, from so many different activities. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I know it costs a lot of money, but yep. it seems like somewhat of a no-brainer, but then the positive impacts it can have. But hopefully we'll get there. To wrap up, uh, well, we appreciate you stopping in Thank and you. talking yeah. to us. And I guess the last thing, is there is there anything you want to say to the town of Grinnell, which we're all Tiger football strong. We all want to see the program grow, and I think it is growing very quickly. Um, I guess, do you have anything to say to you know people who are listening on the the outlook of this football program? That may still be doubters. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm believing. I don't be know. I, I'm know. believing. I was believing ever since you know we started rebuilding. 
<laughs> no, there's always going to be doubters, and, that, and that's fine. You know what I mean? Like I've learned from doing a long time. Like when you try to keep everybody happy, nobody's happy. You know that type of thing. But you know, one of the things that we felt like was missing for us as a family, like in always being in big schools and big towns, was just a community feel. Like my wife and I, I remember when we when we met. You know, way back in 1990, jeez, oh 96, 97, somewhere around there. You know, and we kind of got together and got married. Like we always wanted to. You know, we, I remember us saying, like, when we were, like, 23 years old, 24, like, man, it'd be nice to be in a town of about 10,000 people where it's big enough, where there's enough stuff to do, but there's still a, that good community vibe and that type of thing. And, you know, we were missing that. You know, like, I loved Iowa City, but, you know, it's multiple high schools, and, like, you got the University of Iowa, like, you are not near the biggest show in town. Right. You know what I mean? And, like, we'd play playoff games, and there was not that many people there. And then, right. You know the bigger schools out of state i mean it was cool and that type of thing muscatine was close muscatine was a really good community um, but still that small town you know close-knit atmosphere and that's that's what Grinnell has been like i mean our two boys i mean yes they've traveled all over the country and that type of thing and they they love it here and like you know when you first move somewhere like usually people are really nice you know mm -hmm. what i mean like you're new and that type of thing but the longer we've been here that hasn't changed you know what i mean like i know not everybody's happy all the time i understand that but I mean, it's amazing the support and just uh, how nice people have been and just welcoming into the community. Like it doesn't feel like we lived here a year, you know what I mean? Like people have just really taken us in, which is, uh, that's been a really good thing. So I know my, speaking for my whole family, I mean, we're extremely thankful for that because it's not just about the football part. You know, you move a whole family into town and you hope that goes really well. And it's just been, it's been amazing uh, how well received things have been and how nice people have been. and. You know, hopefully we can win a few more games and make people feel even better about things. Well, we can't wait to broadcast in this season. We're really looking forward to it. Um, we hope to be in contact with you as the season goes on, talk a few uh, pre-game, post-game interviews sure. and such. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm guaranteeing people are going to like this podcast and listen to what you have to say. Well, I hope so. Thanks again for all you're doing, guys. It uh, is definitely adding another element to Tiger, Tiger Athletics, that's for sure. All right. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Once again, thank you to head coach Brian Souser of the Grinnell Tiger football team for stopping in and talking with us. We actually recorded that podcast in his classroom in the high school, and uh, he finished right with driver's ed as he's one of the driver's ed instructors and uh, came in and talked with us. So we got out of the heat on a really, really hot weekend this past weekend. Luckily, it will cool down coming up for the baseball team, but Anyway, talking with Salzer, it was a it was a really good talk. Uh, it was good to sit down and um, talk about his past and what he's been through. He's obviously been one of those coaches not afraid to rebuild programs, and that's exactly what he's doing here in Grinnell. Uh, it was really good to hear that he likes where he's at. He likes the size of Grinnell. He likes how the community cares about football. I find it very intriguing that story that he told us of him contacting Coach Dunn, and uh, Coach Dunn basically telling him, "Hey." The community cares about football. You have the community behind him. And I think that is so perfectly put because I feel like the community really does care about Grinnell Tiger football. And there's obviously improvement on the horizon. He thinks that this year will be better. Uh, we talked a little bit about the conferences. And, you know, he talking about last year, it's true. He thinks Grinnell could have gone 4-5 and five or 5-4. Five and four. Uh, But there is definitely improvement on the horizon. Uh, they obviously won the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament uh, in Simpson College. So there's... A lot of good to be happening with this Tiger football team. Again, Tiger Sports Livestream Network will be broadcasting all of the high school Friday night's home games for the Grinnell Tiger, ba or Grinnell Tiger football team. So you can definitely look forward to that. Um, other than that, I think that'll pretty much wrap up this week's podcast. Again, thank you to head football coach Brian Souser for stopping in and talking to us. Um, if you want to follow the Tiger Sports Livestream Network, on Twitter, you can follow us at at Tigers Live underscore. If you want to follow me, Blake, on Twitter, I'm uh, at Blake underscore Walker 8. Um, again, thank you so much for listening to podcast number 14. Our apologies that my dad, Dan Walker, could not be in to sit during these first and back portions of the podcast, but he's been a little busy the past few days, so I was willing to step in and finish it up for him. Again, good week of baseball past. And now we get to play tonight against Centerville, hoping for a Grinnell victory. I'll keep everyone posted on my personal Twitter page. And if you want to know anything about the bracket for what's to come, I have a uh, 
pictures and graphics up of the baseball bracket upcoming. So once again, thank you for listening to the Tiger Sports Livestream Network, episode number 14 on this podcast. We appreciate it. everyone who has watched us throughout the baseball and softball season on YouTube, and we appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. Last week's episode with Drew and Blake and Jaden was one of our most list, listened to podcasts on the season. So thank you once again for stopping in and listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, Tiger fans. And once again, congratulations to all the teams that have played so far this past weekend in the Iowa High School State Baseball Tournament. And good luck to the Grinnell Tigers as they take on Centerville. Thank you for listening, everyone, and have a good week. And go Tigers. Coffin fires outside. Tanner Strand has it. He's looking downfield. Wide open, A.J. Wilkins. No one is home. He's in. Touchdown, Grinnell.